Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, uh, or you can send a message through the KPEL app chat. There uh, there are some stories to, to go over today, but I, I want to focus on a topic that I, I've talked about fairly frequently. It is a, it is a, a, a subject that I feel is very important for all of us right now. And that is the ongoing fentanyl crisis. Uh, Today in Washington, D.C., there was a hearing before Congress on the fentanyl crisis. And there were a couple of witnesses that I think are worth, in particular, paying attention to. Uh, The first is... Um, I, I forget who it was. I don't have any clips from it, but I think it was somebody in the law enforcement community. And they were basically arguing that the fentanyl crisis, one of the things that we have to do is we have to get it scheduled. We need to make it a schedule, whatever, you know, and, 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 you know, outlaw it that way. Uh, that would, that's, that's how you would be able to do it. And that, okay, that, that's an awful lot. Like people saying, you know, if we just ban guns, gun violence would stop. If you just make it a schedule, whatever narcotic fit, the fentanyl problem goes away. No, <laughs> no. If you you have to focus on the actual cause of the fentanyl problem, which is not fentanyl's existence. It's the illegal importation and production of it, which leads me to this bit of testimony from a mother who lost two of her sons. To fentanyl. If we had Chinese troops lining up along our southern border with weapons aimed at our people, with weapons of mass destruction aimed at our cities, you damn well know you would do something about it. We have a weather balloon from China going across our country. Nobody died, and everybody's freaking out about it. But a hundred thousand die every year and nothing's being done. Not enough is being done. Numbers are going up, not down. And you talk about children being taken away from their parents. My children were taken away from me. (laughs) And and her, her very passionate speech goes on from there. And she's absolutely right. And this is something, and I'm not making a partisan point here. I've said it a lot. This is a multi-administration problem. This goes back even as far as George W. Bush. But we have a problem in the U.S. government in that we have been absolutely stagnant in our response to the fentanyl crisis. And you have this mom who is speaking in front of Congress. This is somebody who lost her sons to fentanyl. And we can take the cruel reality angle on this and say, well, her kids were doing drugs, except you don't know. You don't know the story behind this mother losing her sons. It could have been something they were doing that was maybe still not legal, but way less harmful. Maybe they were just smoking pot and it was laced with fentanyl. Maybe they were doing something else and it was laced with fentanyl. 
Maybe somebody slipped him something. You don't know the case here. But what we do know is that the fentanyl that is being that, that is being passed around in our country illegally as a substance is doing untold devastation to our communities. And in large part, this is a problem of government not having a solution, not having any sort of idea of how to handle it. And for somebody who I think was in the law enforcement community or whatever saying, well, we just we need to go ahead and schedule fentanyl. That's the first step we've got to take. No. No, that's not the first step you have to take. The first step you have to take is, as this mother mentions, fighting the actual war that we're facing right now. For a moment, not think about the war in Ukraine, not think about conflicts going on around the globe. Let's think about the war right on our own border. We have a war going on right now as a failed narco state below the border is corrupt and bought off by drug cartels. And those drug cartels are in partnership with Chinese chemical manufacturers. The Chinese government is more than happy for those chemicals to be sold in Mexico or to be imported into the United States. And the cartels take advantage of that and they use that to produce the fentanyl on our own soil. Or they produce it just south of the border and then have human people who are being human, human trafficked across the border, having their own coyotes trick people into bringing it across the border, people driving it in trucks across the border with little to no border patrol, little to no border security there because the current administration has actually not been very helpful in securing the border. This is a major American crisis that the U.S. government as a whole, not as a specific party, but as a whole, the U.S. government has been completely ill-equipped to fight. We thought the opioid epidemic was bad. The opioid epidemic was an an epidemic of corrupt doctors. Doctors who were pushing pills and pushing pills and pushing pills and all these sorts of drugs onto their patients and they would get hooked. Fentanyl is a completely different beast. But the Obama administration left fentanyl as a subset of the opioid crisis, not its own crisis, and let it grow and let it fester because those are two actually completely separate issues. And then the Trump administration focused so much on a wall to the South, but also they focused just on the immigration stuff. They didn't focus on drugs coming up from above, from the border. That wasn't a big focus. For the Trump administration, their focus was still on Chinese importation of those chemicals and of the drugs. They were still listing China as the primary importer of fentanyl into the U.S. when it had switched over to the cartels because the chemicals could easily go to the cartels in China and then be brought across the border. And the Trump administration was very late to the party on recognizing that. And now, of course, you have the Biden administration that has completely opened up the border and left us in a major crisis. And we know the border problems are getting worse because we had three men that were arrested last week in a major drug bust here in Lafayette. Three Mexican nationals, two of whom had been deported previously during prior administrations. Three men who had been deported previously who were not fentanyl, but were selling drugs and stolen guns, 
right here in Lafayette. So we know there's already a problem at our border. It's not getting better. It is getting substantially worse. But now the fentanyl problem is becoming worse. And we have this issue that that we talk about. We talk about in a very abstract sense. But there doesn't seem to be anybody who's in, in, in charge in any sort of way that's actually seriously coming up with ideas for this. Because if there was somebody in, in our government who was coming up with very serious ideas on fighting the fentanyl crisis, we would see legislation. We would see things going forward. We would see people talking about it, standing up and talking about it. But no, we're stuck with our stupid political points every day, our political talking points on this issue or that issue. And yes, I talk about them too because that's the point of the show is to talk about the politics and the news of the day. But when it comes to actual real solutions to the problems we're facing, like the fentanyl crisis, you push all the partisan BS aside and you actually try to come up with a solution. And so we have this hearing today and it's going to be a bunch of congressmen lamenting and nodding their head, yes, yes, this is sad. And then they're going to move on to their next hot topic of the day. And nothing really changes. Nothing actually gets fixed there. All because they need their fights. They need their political arguments. They need their political fights. They don't actually care about these very real issues that are affecting us day to day in American streets. Uh, Chip Roy, Chip Roy, who is a congressman from Texas. I need to get uh, Representative Roy on the show. Um, But Chip Roy was making a point the other day that it's flooding our streets. That it's actually flooding our streets. Um, It's flooding in between ports of entry. Now, at at ports of entry into the United States... Fentanyl is already a problem there, and they're seizing massive amounts of it. But he's saying that it's also flooding in between ports of entry in the United States, and that is true. It is not in nearly as high a numbers as you see at the ports of entry, but it's still a lot. Um, And he was pointing this out, and some reporter, I forget who the reporter was, Nick Miroff, I think with... Uh, Yeah, with the Washington Post. The DEA says that 2.2 pounds of fentanyl is potentially half a million lethal doses. Chip Roy pointed out that it was flooding in. This reporter from the Washington Post says, no, it's not flooding. Only 477 pounds have been seized by Border Patrol. Well, if you do the math there... 477 pounds is potentially 108,406,091 lethal doses of fentanyl, which seems like a flood to me. But because we have very unserious people who would rather dunk on a Republican than actually address the issue that that's a ton of fentanyl still coming in. We're never going to solve this problem. And the fentanyl crisis will continue to get worse here in the United States. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message to the KPEL app. We'll be responding to those during the break. All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPEL.
Glad to be with y'all today. And of course, if you want to call in, feel free. Let's go to the phone lines now. Hi, welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show. Hello, is it me? Yes, it is. Yes, sir. I was listening to your conversation about fentanyl. And the question I have, like the lady at Congress, her two sons died. And people say, well, they may have smoked marijuana laced with fentanyl. Who who, or where are they lacing the stuff with fentanyl? People are thinking they're taking one thing and someone has put something in it that's going to kill them. Do we know who's doing that? Is that happening here in the state? We don't I don't know specifics here in the state, but what we do know is um, that we have that that drug dealers uh, in an effort to try to get uh, better highs for their customers are lacing it with stronger stuff. And so that's that's what we're getting right now is we're getting um, we're, we're having these issues uh, where the dealers are just handing out these these laced drugs, and that is that's what's getting into the streets. That's what's getting into the drugs. That's what's taking these lives. And there's we haven't really figured out a way to stop that yet. Well, I, I would think one. I mean, this might sound harsh, but one way would be that you could pass a law that says if you're convicted of selling drugs that are laced with fentanyl. That, that's a capital offense. And, you know, you don't sit in jail for 20 years while the appeals get processed. If you did it, you had it, you know, you go straight straight to Angola and we put you out of your misery. I mean, yeah. that's one way that would slow some of it down. It might not stop it, but, you know, they, they would give them something to think about. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And it is, I mean, it's, it's a problem. I think a lot of it is that I think our politicians are scared of going back to the war on drugs. I think they're scared of the phrase war on drugs. And so they don't want to uh, they don't they don't want to be tied in any way to it. And that is, I think, the I think that's what's happening here is where we're having a bunch of folks who are they they don't want to go back to those days where we're the war on whatever noun of the day in this case drugs again but they the politicians are very scared of that because they, they've gotten a lot of pushback over over time it was a waste of time and effort and money and all this but nobody's really taking the problem serious we, we talk about the opioid epidemic we talk about fentanyl all the time but nobody's really actually doing anything and i think that's the issue thank you very much for the call i appreciate it yes sir all right, so we're about to take a break. Um, but I think just kind of going forward, I really think this is kind of the focus that we need to take. We need to figure out how to have this fight, how to fight this war, because that's ultimately what it really is. And nobody seems to be taking it seriously enough. All right. We're going to take this break. More here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Afterwards, if you want to call in, 232-1542, send a message to the KPL app chat. We'll be back with that and more right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL, 232-1542. 
if you want to be part of the conversation, I want to play a clip from a CNN interview. Uh, Bill Maurer talking to Jake Tapper uh, on on uh, progressivism and how progressive rhetoric is pushing folks further and further, actually to the right. I think it's this collection of ideas that uh, are not building on liberalism, but very often undoing it. I mean, five years ago, Abraham Lincoln was not a controversial figure among liberals. We liked him. (laughs) Now they take his name off schools and tear down his statues. Really? Lincoln isn't good enough for you? Um, You know, five, ten years ago, bedrock liberalism was... We are striving to be a colorblind society where we don't see race. Um, Of course, we see it, but it doesn't matter. That's not what woke is. Woke is something very different. It's it's identity. It's we see it all the time. It's always the most important thing. I don't think that's liberalism. I mean, I could mention so many issues like that. Um, I remember doing um, that uh, show on HBO, uh, Comic Relief for the Homeless, and The idea then, again, among liberals, I thought was, you know, for the sake of compassion, can we get these people off the street so they have a roof over their heads? And I want to pair that because he makes some really good points there. I mean, Bill Maurer, you may not like his politics, but the way he says things, he says things very intelligently when he's talking about these very serious issues. When he's doing it in the form of jokes and part of a stand-up routine, especially when he talks about religion, it's kind of a turnoff. But a lot of what he's talking about in this regard is actually you, you need to pay attention to it, particularly if you are of the left and you need to understand just why the left is losing in some of these cultural battles. Now, take this guest essay at the New York Times from a senior at Princeton. In the not-so-distant past, the typical college Republican idolized Ronald Reagan, fretted about the national debt, and read Edmund Burke. Political sophistication to that person implied belief in the status quo. For that bygone breed, an education at an elite institution was a moderating finishing school. Even then, American universities skewed liberal, but the conservatives of old had real opportunities to make their case and have their ideas respectfully challenged in the public square. At my school, Princeton, I've been told, politics were mostly separable from personal relationships. How things have changed. Today's campus conservatives embrace a less moderate, complacent, and institutional approach to politics. Instead of belief in the status quo, many tend toward scorched earth politics. But these changes aren't solely the consequence of a fractured national politics. They're also the result of puritanically progressive campuses that alienate conservative students from their liberal peers and college as a whole. The distrust of authority, the protest and disobedience that have characterized the left's activism over the past half century or so have arrived on the right. The American universities that once served as moderating finishing schools have become breeding grounds for conservative firebrands. And then skipping on down a little bit, this is, I think, the important part here, these two paragraphs. Sometimes young conservative agitators are dismissed cynically as attention seekers or opportunists. But in my experience, the negative consequences of conservative activism on campus, both personal and professional, far outweigh any benefit that they might incur. And tellingly, most conservatives report censoring themselves during their college years. Here, 
Here's the big, big point you need to get. Some might think that this this pervasive progressivism would encourage conservative students to change their views. But in fact, it has the opposite effect. Graduates of schools like Loyola University, Chicago, George Washington University, and Mount Holyoke have described how the rampant leftism on their campuses pushed them to the right. A 2017 article in the Washington Examiner quotes a Furman University graduate saying that the aggressive leftist culture on campus made me a more radical conservative because I only had two options, abandon my beliefs and conform or fight back. She chose to fight back. That is the status of the progressive movement across the country. The idea that you have to be uniform in your views or you will be shunned, you will be kicked out of polite society. You have to follow along on each of these issues, the woke issues, the social justice issues, the ideological issues, everything. You have to follow exactly what the far-left progressives say or else you will not be invited back in. And it has now taken root in our university campuses. Remember, uh, it wasn't too long ago that James Carville referred to these talking points as faculty lounge room. Faculty lounge talking points. These are the theoretical ideas of academics. They don't actually relate to the common working class person. And so the Democratic Party actually alienates itself. And we've seen, of course, over the over several years now, a lot of data that shows that Democrats are actually pushing away minorities. They are pushing away blue collar workers. They are at a point when they are in a very tight knit circle of these theoretical academics. And all of the people that form the backbone of the Democratic Party for years and years and years, all of a sudden, they just don't touch anymore. They, they, they don't reach them anymore. They don't get to, they don't, they don't have any real inspiration in their lives. And so those people are either staying home or they're moving to the right. Progressives today really and truly feel that they've won culturally. They believe that they've won, that they are right. They're on the right side of history. And everything that, that argues against them is some uncultured, racist, bigoted, conspiracy theorist, whatever you want to call them, that's what they are. And they should be shunned from society. And it is, as this college essay, a very well-done college essay, of course, you'd kind of expect that from Princeton, but still, a very well-written essay in the New York Times. The New York Times actually ran this. And this is a student that says, hey, we can see the data. When our universities actually shut out conservatives like this, it makes those people more conservative. It makes people who feel shut out more conservative. And even if they are mostly liberal or mostly progressive, there are some things they don't quite agree with. They're pushed to the right. They're pushed to the right because, as the piece says, you have two options. Abandon your beliefs or conform and conform or fight back. And they're choosing to fight back. The modern progressive movement is one of censorship and silence. And I'm sorry they don't like it. They don't like to hear that, but it, it's true. It is very true. There are a lot of people who say 
some very despicable things. And yes, people on the right say very despicable things. There are some folks who maybe not, they don't need a platform. Maybe they don't need to be in polite society because of some of the things they say and believe and do. But the way you go about it is by intellectually challenging their ideas. The way you go about it is proving them to be idiots, morons, whatever, through intellectual debate, through rational, reasonable debate. And you have this exchange of ideas. And then they expose themselves. The way you don't go about it is you don't just rip away somebody's platform. You don't censor them before they can say anything. You don't make it some issue that they can, they, they can go out and then play the victim on. But more often than not, the people who are targeted for being deplatformed, the people who, who get the mob sent after them are actually very rational people who have some very rational thoughts. Some of them have the benefit of having their own built-in platforms. It's very difficult to cancel them. It's very difficult to deplatform them. They have their own fan base. They can take their fans. They can take their audience, and they can still go on. But there are some people who have perfectly fine ideas. Maybe they're not what the left agrees with, but they're perfectly fine, normal ideas, but they don't like the dissension, so the left tries to get them shut up. But they don't have an audience. They don't have a platform, so they do get shut down. They do get locked out. And what happens? Well, it just makes them more convinced that they're right. You haven't actually done anything to dissuade them of the notion. You've just made them lock in even harder. See, it's the merits of arguments, the merits of discussion and debate. That's what helps society move forward. Society, as it is right now, cannot move forward. Society is stuck because we live in an we live in an age, we live in a culture that prefers to own the libs or own the cons. We prefer to live in a country, uh, in a, in a in a society that prefers dunking on somebody, making some snarky response, and then just ignoring them rather than actually having reasonable, intelligent debate. Because we have that mentality. We can't move forward on ideas, but do you know what's happening? More often than not, that that silencing, that shutting someone out, that refusal to have that debate is from the left toward the right. And as the left locks in and holds on to these immutable platforms, the, they, these ideas they will not walk away from, they will not break away from, they will not tolerate discussion or argument on, and as they continue to name call the people who hold those ideas, those people who may have been on their side on other issues are just taking their ball and going home or going to the other party. Society does not move forward when you shut down ideas and just refuse to even have the debate. Debate, on, I mean, uh, ideas only grow and get stronger when you've had the debate. And more and more people are just refusing to have that debate. More and more people are just... They're, they're again, the lead-lined bunker. They will go down into their lead-lined bunker. They have all their preconceived notions and beliefs, and they will not have the discussion. 
you know, there's a reason why I like having, uh, why I like on uh, Winging It Wednesdays being up against Stephen Handwork of, of of the Democratic Party. He and I can have these idea based discussions. We can have these these topics. That's why I have friends who are progressives, and I talk with them fairly frequently. And we have these discussions. We have these talks. I'm not trying to be isolated in my worldview. I want my worldview to be challenged nearly constantly. Because that's the only way I get better. It's when I was teaching kids to write, my one piece of advice every time was the only way you become a better writer is by writing. The only way your ideas get stronger is when you continue to challenge those ideas. And yes, sometimes those challenges will stop and think make, and, and make you stop and think. And then you might have to go back and, and reevaluate your ideas and maybe you change your mind. And that's OK. It's OK if you change your mind. It's not the end of the world. Maybe, maybe you add some of those other ideas to your own. And that makes you a more unique person in that your ideas evolve. But we're now politically stagnant in this country because one side refuses to engage with the other. And the other side has said, you know what, screw it, we're not going to engage with you either. And that's what the right and the left are right now. The left is refusing to engage and the right saying, okay, fine, we're not going to engage with you either. And nothing moves forward. That's why the fentanyl crisis is the way it is right now, because we have two sides of the political aisle that hate to interact with each other. And they're so scared of things like the war on drugs because of all the political rhetoric both sides have thrown out about that. They, they, they don't want to deal with it anymore. So they've just shut themselves off from it. So they can say all they want. They can say all the pretty words about the fentanyl crisis they want is uh, one of my Twitter followers listening to the show. PPC says until it starts hitting the private, uh, their private supply, politicians don't care. It's all talk with no action for getting elected until then. Absolutely right. They don't want to deal with the problem. They want to shut themselves away from the problem. And that's where we are. That's where we are as a society. But the progressives are doing this in a way that is really impacting and pushing people to be conservative in our universities. Think about that. 232-1542 if you want to call in, be part of the conversation, or send a message to the KPL app chat. We'll take this break. We'll be back to wrap up the show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the program um, real quick, just looking up at the board, uh, there's a lot of vehicle accidents out there. Uh, I want you guys to be aware of, cause I, I want y'all to of course be safe while you're out there driving. Um, Northwest Evangeline at Willow. We've got an accident over there. Uh, that was earlier this hour. Um, Louisiana Avenue at I 10 one over there. Uh, 1300 block of Pinhook, uh, something there, uh, Rustic Lane out in the parish and on Southwest Evangelion, the 1700 block there. So uh, lots of accidents out there. Y'all drive safe. I know that the after school uh, traffic is is uh, out there and pretty heavy. Uh, also, somebody reporting something happening on uh, Vero right now. Just drive carefully out there. Uh, before we end for the day. Uh, there was some pretty historic news. Uh, Lori Lightfoot, mayor of Chicago, became the first 
became the first Chicago mayor in 40 years to lose re-election. She lost by 83 points. Now, it was a primary. It was a primary. There were several candidates on the ballot. She lost by 83 points. She's blaming it on racism, of course. Um, She claimed, I am a black woman. Let's not forget certain folks, frankly, don't support us in leadership roles. Never mind the fact that she was elected on an anti-police platform. Crime surged in Chicago under her tenure. Only after homicides skyrocketed did she change her stance on police and crime. And over the last two years, 45,000 residents have fled Chicago as homicide rates continue to rise. Chicago's four deadliest years since 2000 were in the last few years. So congratulations to Lori Lightfoot on making history by losing a massive, massive reelection loss. All right, you guys have a great day. I'm out. Talk to you again in 23 hours. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email me, Joe at RedState.com. I'll talk to you guys again soon. Shannon is offsides with Gary Cruz here in just a moment. Right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.